we always need to remind ourselves and put ourselves in the shoes of those that are creating the regulations. And in the end, I must say, what we experience, especially on a European level, what I mentioned earlier, the Rhine Commission, that's sort of for the inland shipping world, the most important regulatory body, we see that there's a really good cooperation. You are listening to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. The manufacturing sector is evolving and the work that happens on the front line is the key to driving future readiness. On each episode, we bring you conversations with global leaders in industrial companies. Our goal is to discuss trends, stories and people in digital manufacturing and offer the latest insight into solutions. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources at operationsone.com. I'm your podcast host, Benjamin Brockman. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence, and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information. Hi, Janis. Welcome to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. Thanks a lot, Benjamin, for the invitation and happy to be here today. Great to have you on the show. Janis, could you give me a 60 seconds overview of who you are and what you are doing? Yes, absolutely. So my name is Janis Barksen. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer at CIFA. My background is along the whole maritime value chain. I worked for shipping, for logistics and tech. And I'm combining those experiences at the moment at CIFAR, where I'm responsible for the go-to-market strategy of CIFAR, the company that provides autonomous and crew services for the inland shipping industry, and mainly responsible for the expansion geographically and to the neighboring countries such as Germany, the Netherlands, and obviously building the client portfolio and expanding the products that we have at hand. Today, we will move a little bit out of the factory and out of the shop floor of the factory. And we will take a look into the logistics or supply chain. So we will speak about autonomous shipping. We want to understand what it actually is and what the challenges and benefits might be. So could you provide us a little bit more overview of what CFAR is doing and how and why it came into the field of autonomous shipping? Yes, absolutely. I think it makes sense to provide a bit more context of where and what, let's say, environment we are actually operating. And I think first and foremost, we need to look at the decarbonization efforts um, that everyone is trying to achieve if we look at the transportation providers. So there's one big driver where we're looking at cost efficiencies and the operational optimization. That's one driver. The second one is the personnel shortage that we face in the inland shipping industry. And I would say those two are the main dynamics that CIFAR is currently seeing in the market, especially in the shipping industry. And CIFAR was started and established five years ago by our CEO and founder, Louis Robert-Cole. He actually um, stumbled, or let's say was discovering the need for qualified personnel and the severe shortage. And he back then worked for an autonomous robotics company and ask himself if it is possible to scale up the technology and put it onto the larger vessels that are plying the rivers in Europe. 
to basically make the workforce much more productive and relieve, let's say, the crews on board of the work and thereby allowing companies to actually man more ships um, and expand the fleets of the ships of our clients. So this is all started. Obviously, at the beginning, there was an autonomous technology and it was important to find a way of how to develop towards that vision or that future. Because if we look at where we currently stand, we much more actually found a way in a business case where we are able to operate currently in the regulatory environment with a technology which is focused on remote control, where we stepwise and incrementally develop towards an autonomous future with elements that already today we're using, but already, again, as I said, create a business case for our clients and relieve crew, which allows our clients to man more ships. So this is how it started. Five years ago, I think we're fortunate that we started out in Antwerp, in Belgium. There's a story to it. Why in Belgium? Because their autonomous shipping is part of the national maritime strategy. And a royal decree that was actually passed allows us to test the systems and the technology on the waterways across the whole country. And that obviously gave the company a massive boost because we, by applying the technology, could learn a lot, develop it further. And I would say are now the leaders in that field when it comes to internet shipping in Europe. Janis, when I think about autonomous technologies, I think about autonomous cars. I think about Tesla, for example, or some other car companies. So probably autonomous shipping is not on everybody's plate at the moment. What was your personal motivation behind it? So why did you join CFAR and for yourself? Okay, that could be an interesting thing. Yeah, it's an interesting question because the market is very nascent, right? We're not talking about the consumer market where we talk about a million of cars. I mean, if you look at the inland shipping market, we talk about the fleet in Western Europe of around 8,000 vessels. If we then further extend, let's say, the market segment to the maritime world, then we talk about around 50,000 ships, 55 maybe worldwide. So the market is relatively small. The hurdles to get in are also quite a challenge because the regulations are needed are required to pick up. I think that's also comparable to the automotive car industry. But what I found exciting was, for one, it combines the experience I made before, which is logistics, tech, and shipping. And secondly, as I said, the drivers that I earlier mentioned, the decarbonization and also the personnel shortage, they really demand a solution. And if you today talk to our clients and you bring a solution, such as those, that one from CIFAR, you immediately see what difference you make. And for me, this was like, yeah, the reason to join this industry, to join this company, which is very much, I would say, a purpose-driven decision that I made. And I'm still excited building this market with CFAR and all the other stakeholders we work today. So, Yeah, great story. And I'm very curious to dive deeper into it. So we will come to the challenges and to the benefits in some minutes. Beforehand, I would like to understand how autonomous shipping is working. Probably we cannot go into super much depth and go into the algorithms and the code, but walk us on a tour through the actual process and the technologies needed to make autonomous shopping reality. Yeah, happy to do so. I think maybe also to put it into perspective, Autonomous shipping has been hyped quite a lot. The same way as in automotive or automobile industry, everyone's talking about autonomous. Everyone in this field in shipping realized that the challenges to get it to work are actually quite high. And I think that the reason that we gained speed, that we gained traction was that we looked into how can we use already the technology to a degree that it's accepted by regulators, by insurance, the public, by also cargo owners, right? So every stakeholder that has a say in that. And with that, I mean, we 
definitely have elements of autonomy in our technology. We apply it also on certain stretches. But the most important and the key aspect is that in our technology, in the system, let's say, you always have the captain, the operator behind, let's say, bridge in the shore control center that is the human in the loop and that takes the decision. And that answers many questions, uh, as I said, for insurance company. In the end, if something goes wrong, then the question is, was it the code or was it the human? In our case, it's still the captain, the human in the loop who has made the decision. So from a general overview, what the technology looks like, you have, for one, I mean, the shoreside infrastructure, which is the remote operations center or shore control center, which is, if you can say, a replication of a bridge, a ship's bridge, if you will, with all the instruments, navigational instruments that you need. You have all the audiovisual equipments that you would normally find on the bridge by just looking out the window, let's say, and hearing the noise from outside. Then if we move to the ship, we have the sensory equipment on board, you have cameras, you have LiDAR in some cases, and let's say a control system that is interfacing with all the ship's systems that you need in order to steer the ship from, well, remote, uh, from the shore. In between, you have the technology, let's say the infrastructure where we transmit the data, so the data layer or data transfer layer, let's say, where we rely on 4G, 5G communication, but it's a bit simplified now how I explain it. There's a whole engineering department that goes or takes care of that because obviously any millisecond in delay is something that we cannot accept in the operations. So in a nutshell, it's something like autonomous technologies used to support humans. So there will be still a captain, as you said, but the captain is not on the ship. The captain is at the shore. And is it like that one captain will guide several ships or how will that work out? Yeah, I think that's indeed, it's a question that we are already answering today. We have an operation, for example, in Belgium, where we operate fully unmanned ships. So three at the same time, we could easily scale it up to four, five, maybe even six, where we have then only one operator, one captain taking care of those, guided or let's say aided by a supervisor that sits behind him or her. So in that particular case, it's possible because it's a limited, or let's say the parameters are quite controlled. It's a small canal. It's with less traffic. Let's say it's not the Rhine where you have the heaviest traffic, where you have different currents, water levels that you need to control for. On the other trajectories where we sail, let's say on the where you have high density traffic, such as canals, or at some point on the Rhine later this year, there it's a really one-on-one -on -one ratio where we control with one captain, one ship. The future, if you look into that, yes, definitely we see that you can scale up that ratio. Again, the challenge here, I think it's not necessarily the technology and the developments. It's much more the regulatory side that needs to adapt. And I think this is where we see the biggest hurdles in order to make it happen to really scale up the ratio between uh, ship and captain. So you are talking about hurdles and regulation. We want to dive deeper into the challenges of why autonomous shipping isn't already reality for 100% of the ships worldwide. In our preparation call, we talked about that already a little bit. And you said there are probably two pillars of challenges, the regulations and technology. Of course, technology has to evolve as well. You are building on it every day. So let's go a little bit more into this. How is it working out or why is it not working out right now? with regulations and with technology? What needs to be done still? Yeah, I think that's the biggest question for this market and to this industry that's currently forming. If you look at the regulations, everything is centered on the human. If you look at the infrastructure, the waterway infrastructure, everything is again centered on the human, right? So if you want to pass a lock, if you want to go through a bridge, 
you need to call the bridge operator or the lock operator by radio. You do that by just picking up and calling that person literally. If you go and take that scenario further into the future, I mean, that would need to be then machine-to-machine communication in order to make it happen. So on that technological aspect, infrastructure-wise, a lot needs to happen still in order to facilitate, let's say, autonomous shipping. If you look at the autonomous technology on board of the vessel, you need to get to systems that are 100% stable in all kinds of weather conditions, and that can be basically operates at any given time with under any given water level, weather circumstances, traffic situations, etc. And if you look at, take the Rhine, for example, I think for Germans and for the German listeners, the Rhine rings a bell. It's like the largest waterway in Europe. In fact, in Western Europe, we have a lot of traffic in many challenging situations or let's say areas of the Rhine. And you need to automate, you need to be able to have technology to steer a ship that's carrying a thousand or more tons of cargo through maybe even dangerous cargo, there are still a few questions that need to be addressed. And I think that's also now the stepping stone towards the regulatory side, because as I said, the regulations are geared towards the captain in the wheelhouse. And that person is responsible at any given moment in time. You now need to untangle the regulations and it gets to questions like, what happens if the police wants to board the ship, but there is no captain on board that's responsible and they want to do a check whether the captain is alcoholized, for example, or has... It's consumed alcohol. And that is not possible. It's, you would need to go to control center somewhere on land. So in fact, it's very has impractical implications that need to be addressed and solved on the regulatory and authority side. And that takes time. And that's something where we are deeply involved. So we work, for example, with the Rhine Commission, which is sort of like the regulatory body for the European inland waterways, and very closely also with the delegations that make up that body to further and to develop, evolve the regulation to get to a point where we can, for one, first step would be to sail crew reduced and then at some point on certain waterway stretches to even sail fully unmanned if that's required. But I would also pose the question, maybe to end with that, is really the autonomous, fully unmanned ship the solution in itself, right? If we look at, for example, tank barge, you see there's a lot of pipes on board. There's a lot of, let's say, work that's required, manual work, human work to maintain and to keep the state of the ship Well, it's not easily done and handed over to robots. I think that's still a long stretch until we get there. There are certain segments of the market where it might be easier to fully go unmanned and autonomous. But again, it's something that's intermediate future I will see at the moment. I think we need to make steps with more remote controlled, human in the loop centered systems that CFAR is applying. Sometimes the regulations topic feels a little bit boring, but... On the other hand side, sometimes I think that we are underestimating how much impact good and fast regulations can have. So I would like to have one question still in the regulations topic to understand if that is something which needs to be solved on a European basis or are there regulations globally in place as well? So are we, for example, slow here in Europe with that kind of regulations? How is America doing? How is that working out? Because I can assume that the regulations are different if I'm in the Northern Sea or in the Atlantic or I'm on the Rhine River. Yeah, if I tie it back to my experience previously, my background is in commercial and driving growth, let's say, where it's about speed. And typically exactly what you say, that's not what you associate with regulators or regulations. However, I find that field very interesting. And I think we always need to remind ourselves and put ourselves in the shoes of those that are creating the regulations. and. In the end, I must say, 
what we experience, especially on a European level, what I mentioned earlier, the Rhine Commission, that's sort of for the inland shipping world, the most important regulatory body. We see that there's a really good cooperation and we see actually, and that's something to really emphasize that there's a will. There's also dynamic and the drive to make that a reality that we can say crew reduce the first phase quite soon. So that's why we expect by the end of the year to have the first vessels on the Rhine that can say still with a full crew, but then quite fast enter actually into phase where we can say with one captain less on board of a ship. So from that perspective, I want to say we are so far quite happy about the developments. If we then make a step to the international waters, you touched upon it, the Atlantic, Pacific, etc. So those are regulated by the International Maritime Organization, which is a sub-organization of the UN. We see the same developments there. The drive is there to develop a goal-based regulatory standard that will allow then the players in the maritime world to get their projects on the water quite fast. The expectation is here by 25 to have that goal-based standard until it's signed into a binding code by 2028. Janis, now we will talk about the exciting part. So why is autonomous shipping great? What is the impact and what are the benefits for specific stakeholders? You mentioned the workforce already. So what do you see as the biggest benefits of autonomous shipping? Yes, I think so. The first one that I mentioned is indeed, it's the question about how do we address the future in the maritime and inland shipping world, right? If you have less crew and less people and simply not the personnel to man the ships, the question as a shipping company, as a ship owner is really, what is my business going to look like if I fast forward five years, six years, 10 years? And the current workforce, if you look at the age distribution, it's entering the pension age. So it's clear what's coming towards us. And the inland shipping industry is the backbone of the European industry. So it plays a vital role, especially when it comes to shipping consumer goods into the markets in Western Europe. The sneakers that you bought, they're produced in Asia. They're coming via Rotterdam or Hamburg, and then they go further into the south of Germany, for example, from where they're distributed. If you look at, let's say, the German industrial base, it's mostly supplied by raw materials that come through these ports, and that's moved by inland vessels. So if you don't have the personnel to man these ships, we're running into uh, quite a challenging situation. So for one, it's addressing the problem of the personnel ship shortage. That's clear. I think the second, and that's more the benefits for the ship owners themselves, it sets them apart as like very forward-looking and innovative companies. It then make a bit of sidestep into what does a career as a captain actually look like? It's binary actually, right? It's either you go sailing and you acquire the skills and the time to progress through the ranks and be a captain, or as you say, an inland shipping, a boatmaster at some point. Or you step out and you try to find a job ashore where these skills and uh, qualifications are a benefit, right? But if you look at, let's say, 40 years of work that you might have in front of you as a boatmaster or choosing for that career, a lot can happen. You can have a family, you have kids, uh, you want to maybe stay at home. Maybe there's a medical condition and you can't work as hard anymore as you want to. And then at some point you might be looking at other roles on shore because there is no other option. I mean, now with the technology such as the one from CIFA, where you can work in a remote control center, you don't need to give up your job. You can carry it out from shore. It doesn't mean that you don't need to go sailing anymore, but imagine that you don't need to go two weeks on, two weeks off, but instead you change it to one week on, uh, you sail, and then the rest of the month you actually work from from the remote operation center. And that is the benefits, I think, that attracts 
new personnel for shipping companies. And that makes it very interesting for also new joiners to the industry because it's an exciting industry. So you're mentioning the personal shortage. It will yep. be addressed. The job in general of a captain will be probably more attractive and it will change as well. Yeah. One idea which is right now coming into my mind and please prove it's if it's the right direction, would it help in terms of safety as well? Because I could think of a scenario where you have three captains on shore and they have specific professions or they are experts in specific domains and they can switch between different ships very easily because they are in the same room and they can say, okay, please take care of this one because you are more of an expert. Is it a scenario or is it something just in my mind? Yeah, I think it's a good point that you're mentioning about safety and let me expand a bit on it. To your question, indeed, for example, if you want to go on the Rhine, you need to have the certificates for it. You need to have experience for it. In case you don't have it, you can take a pilot on board that guides you on the Rhine, right? That's extra cost for the shipping company. But that's a bit the scenario of, that you can think of. Huh? Imagine you have then Rhine captains, experienced Rhine captains that guide the ships on certain stretches of the Rhine, which are challenging because they have the knowledge and the experience. Clearly, that would make it more safe, right? But in general, if you look at the technology itself, it's a bit on an abstract level. If you look at the risk, the human, let's say, centered risk of what can go wrong, navigational errors, mistakes, fatigue, etc., that drive it, that risk is decentralized in every wheelhouse that's currently on the waterway in Europe, right? If you centralize it in a remote control center, you make sure you have certain standard procedures that are being followed, the processes that are always the same. Plus, you can use the technology such as object detection, where um, you have then captains alerted on their screens in the remote operations center of, let's say, a ship on a collision course or obstacles in the water, etc. And that's something that you don't have necessarily in the wheelhouse. You don't have that option detection software or systems installed locally on, on board of ships. And there you see indeed that's something that the oil majors, for example, are very interested in because it is indeed something that's expected to reduce risk and where we see already the benefits of how it's alleviating, let's say, the cognitive load of the boatmasters in the remote control center. We are coming to the end of this episode slowly. One question which is still in my mind. Let's assume I'm the owner of some ships and I listen to that podcast episode and I find it interesting and I say, okay, probably this technology could be something for me. How would I start to go the next step? So how would it look like? What do I need to do? I would assume I can reach out to you, for example, but what does it take in terms of technology for me and my ships? It's a very abstract topic for me right now to understand the specific next steps then. Yeah, I think the questions to be answered from a ship owner side is actually what's the goal? What do I want to achieve? Do I want to go crew reduced? That's one option. Do I have an operation which lends itself to go fully unmanned? As I just described earlier, what we have in Belgium, for example. Or do I just want as a ship owner to increase the hours, the operational hours of my vessel without having additional crew on board to go 24-7, for example, whereas I just use, let's say, CIFA and its services to top up the operational hours. I think these are questions which are much more driven or, let's say, answered from a commercial perspective. I think then the second thing is, in what areas do you sail? What are, let's say, the routes that you ply? And then thirdly, it's about what kind of ship do I actually have? What state is it? How modern is it? What would need to be installed and interfaced? And that's a discussion we typically kick off and start with a technical assessment on board, where afterwards we have then a discussion around what the technology would be required to be put on board and installed. 
So that's typically the process of, it takes around, I don't know, two weeks approximately until we get to a conclusion. Okay. Janis, now we are coming to the last question and we are taking a look into the future. How do you envision the future of autonomous shipping in 10 years? So 10 years from now, especially here in Europe. So how will it look like in Europe? What is your vision for it? Yeah. Well, 10 years, it's a uh, well, definite time in the future. So I think what we will see, regulation will uh, evolve. It will allow us to use the technology in its various forms. So from full crew on board, but support from shore or uncrewed and crew reduced operations on waterways in Europe, right? So that we will definitely see and also hard coded in the regulation side. And that will mean that there is going to be a market opening up in the foreseeable future. I think then if you look at the different waterways where you see these kind of operations, I think there will be a difference between whether you will go fully unmanned on certain rivers that are challenging or not. I think it's much more realistic that you will see unmanned operations, for example, on canals um, and also on certain types of vessels, dry cargo ship, for example, where you don't need that much manual work and maintenance on board of the vessel. So I think there you will see definitely the segmentation in how far the technology is going to be applied. But overall, I think you will definitely see much, much more of autonomous or highly automated vessel across Western European inland fleet. And CFAR is going to play a major role in that. I think if we look at this year, what are the plans for the end of the year, together with our partners in the German-speaking markets, HDK Shipping from Cologne and also Reederei Daimann, we are going to open up a control center in Duisburg, which is going to be the first in Germany, where we expect them to remote control, let's say, the first vessels on the Rhine by the end of the year. So that's a bit my expectations for the next years and also the next months. Great. It sounds like a really inspiring vision. Janis, thanks for being on the show. I learned a lot. It was exciting to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Benjamin, for being here and having the chance to represent CIFAR. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, and we hope you found this episode valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. You can find more information and resources at operationsone.com. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information.